Howdy, folks. This is Jimmy Aiken of the Jimmy Aiken Podcast, and you're listening to Catholic Foodie. It slices, dices, and makes Julian fries. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jimmy. This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 128 of the Catholic Foodie, Louisiana Oysters. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we're going to talk about oysters. You may love them, you may hate them, but one thing is certain. The Louisiana oyster has a mystique about it and a large loyal following. Although many would argue that the best way to serve oysters is in the raw, there are so many other ways to prepare them. And in this episode, we're going to talk about a few of them, including Drago's famous char-grilled oysters and our variation of it, too. I have a few recipes for you, a fresh cocktail sauce for those yummy, slimy, raw oysters, and some sauces for grilled or barbecued oysters. All this and more right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I also have a special recipe for what I call the Bayou Mary Oyster Shooter. That's coming up later. Sarah Reinhardt joins us with her Mary in the Kitchen segment, and today Sarah reflects on resolutions, failure, and our Blessed Lady. Wow, lots going on in this show, huh? <laughs> I want to thank Jimmy Aiken of the Jimmy Aiken Podcast for that intro there. Uh, very much appreciated. We have a, an announcement for you that I will get to in just a moment. Uh, right after we thank our sponsor, I want to start the episode off by thanking our sponsor, DivineOffice.org. You know, it's an awesome Catholic ministry providing top-of-the-line Catholic apps for your mobile devices and for your Mac. Uh, the full Liturgy of the Hours, an app of Catholic Prayers, the Bible app, and now an app of the Catholic Encyclopedia. I mean, these folks don't do anything halfway. These apps rock. So you got to check them out. You can go over to divineoffice.org, and you can learn all about the different apps that they have on all these different platforms. Great, great stuff. Uh, and if you uh, remember from last episode, 127, you could win either a Divine Office app or the Catholicpedia app by calling in your voice feedback. That's right. I want to hear from you. Where does food meet faith in your life? Call me at 985-635-4974 and leave me a message. And uh, your name will go into a hat uh, to win one of these apps. Again, the number is 985-635-4974. I look forward to hearing from you. And along the lines of news and current events, I have some more news for you. It was announced to, uh, Saturday that uh, Catholic apologist Jimmy Aiken, with his excellent Jimmy Aiken podcast, is now an affiliate of SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network. This news was announced Saturday morning on SQPN's Catholic Weekend podcast, and you can read more about this exciting news over at sqpn.com. And don't forget, SQPN is in the middle of its annual giving campaign. If you're not already a friend of SQPN, please go right now over to sqpn.com and click on the Donate button. We certainly need to support good Catholic content on the Internet, and SQPN is all about producing excellent Catholic content. Become a friend today. Go to sqpn.com. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. 
I'll have what she's having. You know, I didn't always like oysters. Uh, as a matter of fact, my very first encounter with oysters happened when I was a senior in high school. I mean, I grew up in Baton Rouge, so oysters were always everywhere. I mean, I just never wanted to have anything to do with them. Then one Friday night, I was invited to a friend's house. Uh, and the occasion, well, yeah, it was just a Friday, probably in November, but oysters were the reason for the gathering. The host had purchased a goodly amount of shucked oysters and wanted to throw a party and serve oyster po'boys. I remember admitting that I had never eaten oysters, and I confessed that I probably would not like them. <laughs> the chef's response? Well, she told me to add ketchup to my po'boy, and whatever you do, she said, whatever you do, don't look at what you're eating. <laughs> that was good advice, you know. And, and, and of course, I, I looked. Yes, I, I did. I looked. And it was gross, you know. I mean, the fried oysters looked delicious when they were whole. They were crispy golden and just kind of, oh, just delicious looking. But once you bit into one, you'd see the slimy gray-black interior. And that, that kind of made me reflect on exactly what I thought I was doing. <laughs> what am I doing eating this? Uh, however, I tell you what, I did make it through the meal. I even had seconds. Why? Because it was great. I mean, they were really, it was delicious. Just weren't, you know, they're, they're not pretty to look at when you see a half-chewed oyster. That, that was gross, but... Oyster po' boy was very, very good. Now, you know, I love po' boys, of course, and, uh, but when I order po' boys today, I never really order oysters. It's not because I don't like them. It's just that I love shrimp and catfish more. <laughs> I do. Shrimp po' boy is by far my favorite. But, uh, you know, that was my introductory culinary experience of the oyster. Uh, and it would take, I have to admit this now, it would take me years before I ventured to try one raw. You know, that didn't happen until probably 1992 or 93 when I was the head bartender at a seafood restaurant in Baton Rouge. Uh, it was a seafood restaurant, right? I mean, they had seafood there. And I worked in the lounge, serving up all kinds of delicious libations. But one of the things that this restaurant was famous for was its raw oysters. The same family, as a matter of fact, owned a seafood market right next door. So the oysters were always fresh and plentiful. Uh, the restaurant employed a full-time oyster shucker who worked with me in the lounge. The oyster bar was right there in the lounge. Matter of fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think they even called it the lounge. It was called the oyster bar. Uh, we had an oyster shucker in there every night, shucking oysters. And I was, he was, he had a smaller area than I did, a beautiful mahogany bar. I mean, this is, a, it was a gorgeous place. Uh, but he had his oyster bar set right on one side and, and and my bar kind of spanned the the kind of a, a almost a a curved L shape uh, along the 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 front part of the restaurant. And it was beautiful. You had, you had tables in there, and of course you can sit at the bar. It's a really nice place to to be. But on really busy nights, when I had everybody's drinks served and I had a few minutes, I'd jump over there and help him shuck oysters too. So I got to learn how to do it. It was. It was really kind of fun. I mean, I've stabbed myself several times. That's not fun. But I found the whole, there's a, there's a, as I said in the beginning, there's a mystique about these, these, uh, these oysters. I said, you know, it's weird because now that I think about it, I love things that you have to open up to eat. Uh, <laughs> I've reflected on this before. Crawfish, you know, you got to peel crawfish and, and, and you just, it, it takes work, right? It takes work to get to the, to the meat and it's just, it's so worth it. I love um, uh, shrimp. You got to peel shrimp, right? Oysters, you got to crack them open. 
uh, and peanuts. I love peanuts, and <laughs> you've got to work to get to the peanut, too. So I don't know what that says about me, but I really like to, to open things up or to eat things that you have to open up. So uh, that's a that's an interesting thought. Hmm. Don't know what that says. But anyway, uh, so in really busy nights, I would help him out shucking oysters. Uh, and you would think, you would think, I, at least it, it would make sense to me in retrospect, you know, that if I spent all that time shucking oysters, that I would have tried one raw. But I didn't. I mean, it took me probably weeks, if not even a couple of months, before I finally decided it was time to try a raw oyster. And uh, I was at the bar. I was right there. I was at work. I, I shucked it myself, and uh, I enjoyed that that oyster with a with a draft beer. It was uh, it was very good. I have to admit, it was very good. The next thing I know, I'm going out routinely with coworkers for raw oysters. You know, the restaurant where I worked closed at nine, and uh, we were usually out of there by ten. I mean, they just would stop seating at nine, so you still had to uh, take care of the the uh, any customers that came in before they closed and maybe right toward, you know, right up against nine o'clock, you still had to serve them, but you also had a lot of cleaning to do and everything else. We got out of there probably nine thirty, ten o'clock, somewhere around there. And then we'd head out to a late night place like the Chimes uh, right outside the gates of LSU. That was one of our favorite haunts. I mean, they had tons of beer on tap from around the world. Awesome stuff. Cold, raw oysters, excellent fried seafood. And the place didn't close till two. Okay. So we would go there often. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think I used to spend all my tips that I had made earlier each night uh, whenever we'd go to the Chimes. I'd probably spend all my tips there. But anyway, the Chimes was where uh, we would go and eat raw oysters and drink beer and have a good time until two o'clock in the morning where we'd go home. You know, this is when we're young and stupid and we'd go home and uh, sleep and wake up the next day and do it all over again, right? Anyway, uh, the Chimes was also where I ate the oysters that almost killed me. Now, that was back in probably 93 or 94. And uh, at one of our routine after-work gatherings at the Chimes, you know, just going out to have a good time. And there were about 10 of us there that night. We were all ordering, the whole table, we all were ordering oysters on the half shell. I think, if I remember correctly, it was maybe a Tuesday night, and and they had uh, the oysters were uh, 25 cents on the half shell, so I mean it's pretty cheap, you know. You can eat eat well and eat a lot of oysters real cheap on a night like that. So we were uh, we were just ordering, you know, a dozen after dozen, just ordering oysters, and they were good. I mean, I, I could say that that night they were particularly good. It was just, it was awesome. I don't know if it was the price that made them so good, you know, twenty five cents or or what. But what we did not know was that the oysters were in fact harvested from waters that were contaminated by some kind of bacteria. And that fact began to dawn on us one at a time between 24 and 48 hours later. (laughs) It was not pretty at all. I mean, at least a couple of us I know went to the hospital. I did not. I did, however, honestly think that I was going to die. Uh, It was awful. I mean, awful. And because of that experience, I did not eat uh, raw oysters again for a number of years. Uh, I don't think I had them again until, uh, let's see, I guess it was uh, around 1998. I believe it was 98. Uh, I didn't have them again until I was on my honeymoon with Char. Uh, we went to Margarita Island, Venezuela, for our honeymoon. I was blessed. We were, we were blessed to, 
to have a two-week honeymoon on Margarita Island, Venezuela. It was beautiful, wonderful. But to make a long story short, you know, I was lured into eating raw oysters by our driver, um, who who was a local, and uh, we had befriended him. It's it's kind of a it's really this whole the whole honeymoon thing is a long long story. <laughs> it was a great time, of course, at your honeymoon. But uh, I mean, it's it, we it, it it we did it right. I mean, it was <laughs> it was amazing, uh, an amazing experience. We met lots of great people, and uh, Virgilio was our driver, and uh, we were introduced to him by some Lebanese folks that we had met there, and uh, they owned a Lebanese grocery, believe it or not, on Margarita Island in Venezuela, and uh, and we we met Virgilio, and he was a taxi driver. And he basically, we, we kind of commissioned him, and he basically just drove us around the island. We got to meet his kids. We got to, uh, uh, we, we went on picnics. Uh, we got to meet his family, I mean, his wife. I mean, it was just, <laughs> his wife made us a, a picnic lunch one day. I mean, it was phenomenal. Anyway, this one, one day during our, our two weeks there, he brought us to this beach. This, uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, I'm sure now, because I mean, back then the internet wasn't what it is today. I'm sure I could find out more about this this specific spot. Uh, maybe I need to do that. I need to look it up. But uh, this this beach was really—I've never seen its equal. I really have. I mean, and I've I've been to uh, many beaches, many beaches, but it, this one was like uh, uh, hidden in a sense between the ocean on one side and a saltwater lagoon on the other. And I can't remember right now offhand the name. Of the trees, they had these trees there that almost looked like the uh, the magnolias that we have here in, in in Louisiana. And these trees, the 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 name of the trees, if you translated it literally into English, would mean the trees that walk on water, because these trees are are in this lagoon, and it's amazing. There's no land; it's just a root system, and these trees grow out of this root system that that sits on top of the water. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You could take these boat rides through the canals and it's, you know, these, these trees. Oh, it was phenomenal. Anyway, we're there on the beach and, uh, but Helio's with us and he says, Hey, you know, you, you have to try the oysters here. It's the best in the island, right? The best in the island. You got to try them. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. We're, we're like in Venezuela <laughs> on an island and we're going to try the oysters here. I mean, It'd be safer back home, you know, and, and I haven't had raw oysters in, in, in years. But uh, he, he, he drove, you know, it was a hard bargain. I, I, I couldn't back down from it. So we had at least a couple of dozen. They were phenomenal. They were great. And guess what? I did not get sick. <laughs> so I haven't been as afraid of raw oysters since then, especially doing, during uh, oyster season. Now, we call it a season, but is it really a season? You know, uh, we start, I think, down here in South Louisiana, we start to think oyster uh, whenever the weather turns cold or, or cool, right? And, and why is that? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But first, you know, I'll tell you uh, what I've always been told. You know, you can only eat oysters during months that end in R. September, October, November, December, they all end in R. Uh, those are the safe months, right? Well, guess what? That's a myth. <laughs> I always believed it. Matter of fact, everyone I know who eats oysters has always believed that. Uh, I was told it, it had to do with the heat. You know, oysters are 
living creatures. Uh, they have to be kept cold after they're harvested. Apparently, a long time ago, before refrigerated trucks and boats, uh, transporting oysters in the summertime could be, well, dangerous. You know, they could go bad. Oysters can go bad. And if they go bad, they're going to make you go bad. It's just not a pretty picture. And that makes sense, right? Well, uh, just the other day, I came across this press release about oysters, and this press release was from the U.S. Department of the Interior. And when I read it, it had me laughing so hard, I couldn't believe it. Here, I've got it right here. I want to read it to you. Listen to this. From the United States Department of the Interior Fish and Wildlife Service for release on March 29th, 1964. <laughs> 1964. The title here is Interior Exposes Oyster R Month as Myth. The belief that oysters are good to eat only during months that have an R is a myth, according to the Department of the Interior. Interior's Bureau of Commercial Fisheries says that oysters usually reach their peak of perfection in May and June, months that have no R in them. Oysters are fatter and taste better in the spring, the Bureau says, because at this time they begin to store glycogen and animal starch in preparation for the spawning season in summer. During summer and early fall, fall, oysters become thinner, their nectar becomes comparatively watery, and their flavor declines. The fattening cycle usually does not resume until October or November. So the harvest of oysters, however usually begins in September or October, a time when oysters generally are not at their best. Reasons for this inconsistency were explained by Dr. J.L. McHugh, Bureau of Commercial Fisheries Assistant Director for Biological Research. Quote, The oyster harvest is begun in early fall because the demand is seasonal and the prices are highest at that time. The seasonal demand may have been caused by the R-month myth. Another reason is that most oysters are marketed in the raw, shucked state, and in the early days, storage life probably was longer in cooler weather. Dr. McHugh said, that's end quote there, Dr. McHugh said some of the origins of the R-month myth may have been lost in history, but one of the apparent origins is the spawning methods of the European oyster. This oyster is unique in that it's Young are retained by the mother until tiny shells are developed. The presence of the small, gritty shells makes the European oyster undesirable for human food during the non-R months. Dr. McHugh said that changing the oyster harvest time to late spring could result in important economic benefits to the oyster industry. Oyster mortalities usually are heaviest in summer, and losses of 25 to 50 percent are not uncommon. Thus, an earlier harvest could result in obtaining many more bushels of oysters in a given area. Further, because oysters are fatter in the spring, there would be a much greater yield of meats in each bushel harvested. The net result, Dr. McHugh said, is that it would not be unusual to produce twice to four times the usual volume of oyster meats during a spring harvest as compared to the fall harvest the more plentiful supply could bring economies to the consumer. The tradition of the fall harvest is unlikely to change, however, 
until enough consumers become aware that the arm month rule is a myth and start asking for oysters in spring months, Dr. McHugh added. <laughs> is that funny or what? You may not think that's as funny as I do, but all I've heard all my life is, you know, oh, you can't eat oysters during the year except for the arm months. You know, you, you got to wait till the arm months when it's cold. So it's almost just ingrained in me that we have to wait. And uh, when the weather gets cool, well, that's when you start eating oysters, you know. However, in reality, nowadays, oysters are pretty much safe to eat year-round. And speaking of eating oysters, <laughs> we have been on something of an oyster kick lately. You know, this, this time of year, Thanksgiving through uh, New Year's, oysters can be in short supply. Oyster dressing often accompanies Thanksgiving turkeys across South Louisiana. Uh, seafood gumbo is a popular Christmas dish. And then there are all those oyster bars and hungry South Louisianians with a hankering for their oysters, you know. Now, I did not do an oyster dressing this year for Thanksgiving, but I did do a seafood gumbo for Christmas. And that was tricky, mainly because we were going to be in Baton Rouge with family for a few days, so I had to get all my seafood a few days early. And the markets were going to be closed on Christmas Day. And let me tell you what. Now, down here, everybody's thinking seafood at Christmas. So, I mean, the, the seafood, I went, I went a couple days early. I think I went to the market on the 23rd. So that was the Friday the 23rd. And, man, you're talking about packed. And I'm in line waiting, right? I needed lots of fresh shrimp with the heads on. I needed fresh crab meat. And, of course, the oysters. I, uh, I scored easily with the shrimp and the crab meat. I got five pounds of, of fresh Gulf shrimp and two pounds of fresh crab meat. And instead of doing the lump crab meat, which is really expensive, I got the, uh, the, the claw meat, right? Two pounds of claw meat, which were only moderately expensive. It was, it, I saved a few bucks. It was nice. <laughs> but I almost missed out completely on the oysters. You know, I, I mentioned that the oysters can be hard to come by this time of year, and, and, and it's true. They, they really are in great demand. Uh, it's just this time of the year, you know. But the real cause of the scarcity is the BP oil spill. Still, right? Still. Because it's taken a long time for the proper agencies to give the green light on harvesting oysters in Louisiana. There are lots of beds that are still not being harvested. So the supply has been drastically cut. And it's also made oysters much more expensive than, than what we're accustomed to down here. So at the seafood market, they only had one gallon of shucked oysters left that day um i was told there was a delivery truck on its way with more oysters but it wouldn't be there for another hour or so and i just didn't have time to wait so mercifully the owner of the market offered to split the gallon into two half gallons uh, a gallon really is just it, it was too it was expensive first of all but secondly um it was too many oysters we it was just gonna be us on christmas day we didn't have anybody coming over <clears throat> and I didn't want to open up a gallon and not use them all in a in a timely fashion and wind up wasting them. So um, anyway, the half gallon is what I, what he wound up making for me. I wound up getting that for thirty five bucks. That was that was good. That was good. It's quite a bit more than in past years, but it was okay. You know, uh, you know why? Because they were delicious. <laughs> we grilled some and then we added the rest to the gumbo. So. As a side note, by the way, the gumbo was absolutely 
incredible. You know, I love making and eating all kinds of gumbos, and uh, we rarely do seafood gumbo because it is so doggone expensive. It really is. I mean, <clears throat> I know that gumbo was well over $100. You know, just one gumbo. It's a big old pot. It, it lasted us for days. But still, it's an expensive undertaking. Um, <clears throat> but here's what happened. It was worth it. I'll tell you why. Here's what happened. Um, when I served Char her bowl, she looked at me after she tasted it. She looked at me. She said, this is the best gumbo I've ever eaten. I said, cool. <laughs> and then she said, no, listen, this is the best gumbo I've ever eaten. <laughs> she didn't mean seafood gumbo. She meant gumbo. I was like, wow. Like in her life, that was the best she'd ever had. And that just blew me away. You know, I used my, my usual recipe, which you can find over at catholicfoodie.com, uh, but I did make a few adjustments. And uh, the, adju the adjustments apparently uh, made all the difference in the world, at least, at least for Char. I mean, we all loved it. I thought it was great, but for Char, it really was like the best. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to update the recipe over at catholicfoodie.com. I haven't done it yet, but it's on my to-do list for the week. So you will have the new and improved Catholic Foodie Seafood Gumbo coming at you real soon <laughs> this week over at catholicfoodie.com. So the oysters I got for Christmas were so good, they were really so good, that we wanted to do a repeat of the grilled oysters. And uh, I'm going to give you a recipe for that shortly, but he here's what happened. You know, every year around Christmas, Big D, Dwayne DeRoche, Big D, uh, who is my son's godfather, he comes over for a big Christmas seafood blowout. And uh, a few days after Christmas, we did it again. Uh, I went to the seafood market to get the oysters, and I wanted a gallon this time. Well, guess what? They were out. <laughs> I've had a lot of exciting adventures over at the seafood market recently. They were completely out, completely out. And I must have looked pretty bummed out because uh, the guy behind the counter said, look, I've got a truck coming, and it should be here any minute. Uh, but I'm only getting sacks. There's no shucked oysters. It's all just sacks of oysters, no gallons. And uh, he goes, I think, I think all those oysters, the, all the sacks have been reserved. Let me go check for you. I said, all right. So he came back a few minutes later with a sack of oysters. <laughs> I hadn't planned on shucking, but, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do, right? And uh, he got my name and wrote it on the reservation card tied to the sack. You see, that sack was probably an extra, right? It was probably an extra on the on the truck that the, the, the restaurant or the seafood market probably didn't know that they were getting that sack. But they got it, and uh, it, there, was a, there was a waiting list for oysters. Uh, but since I was there, wanting oysters... That gentleman took care of me, so he put my name on that uh, reservation card, and uh, I got me a sack of oysters. Pretty awesome. It was 100 counts, so I got 100 oysters. I did a lot of shucking, but it was fun, you know? When you don't have to shuck every day, then shucking oysters can be a fun thing. <laughs> anyway, we served lots of them raw, and then we, 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 um, we grilled some too. And uh, coming up soon, I will share with you a recipe for our cocktail sauce for the raw oysters, and a couple of different versions of grilled oysters. But first, let's take a listen to this story about Drago's Restaurant in New Orleans. Well, Metairie, really. It's in Metairie, which is outside. It's a suburb, I guess, of New Orleans. Uh, Drago's is the home of the char-grilled oyster. 
And uh, this is a clip. I'm going to play a clip for, uh, for you from Food Network's The Best Thing I Ever Ate. Right? And this one is with Adam Gertler, host of Kid in a Candy Store. Take a listen to this. People ask me all the time, where do you go to eat? What is your favorite food? What's the most awesome thing you ever had? And that's why we're here now. Not only to tell you what we love to eat, but where you can go find it. I mean, like the 411. My definition of a grill is a grated surface with fire shooting up. When I think about the grill, the thing that jumps into my mind first, oysters, oysters, oysters. I'm talking about the grilled oysters from Drago's in Metairie, Louisiana. They will mess your world up. Traditionally, an oyster is best enjoyed raw, and you kind of eat them, you're like, I just, I enjoy that oyster. And it's like, do you even know that you ate one? In New Orleans, they do crazy things with oysters. And one crazy thing they do is grill them. See that smoke? You know they're grilling oysters right now. And the really cool thing about Dragos is they grill so many oysters, they don't go through a distributor. They go to the fishermen. Oyster bed, to boat, to Dragos, to grill, to mouth. They take the oysters, they shuck them. We put them right on the grill. And then they're ladled with a garlic butter mixture. And we use plenty of it. And then we take a fresh Parmesan and Romano cheese with a little bit of parsley. So there's smoky, garlicky, cheesy, creamy, and just beautiful. Thank you. When these things show up, I, I mean, that tear comes to the eye every time. Pretty much you order the next dozen as soon as that dozen hits the table. Should I order the next now, or should I finish this one first? Like, yes, we'll take another dozen grilled oysters. Always so sad to see the last oyster. It's a very simple cycle that keeps on perpetuating itself. <laughs> they have a full menu at Drago's. I would love to have a dozen oysters and something else, but I would really love to have three dozen oysters. You have to get these oysters. It'll open up the floodgates of oyster love. Is that awesome or what? I mean, we're talking the home of the char grilled oysters. Fantastic stuff. And you know, uh, there was a cookbook I talked about, not that, well, I guess it was about a year ago or so. It's called Cooking Up a Storm. It was uh, put together uh, by a couple of friends of mine, Marcel Bienvenu and uh, Judy Walker. And th these were recipes that were lost and found from the Times-Picayune of New Orleans, lost and found in, during Hurricane Katrina. And the Times-Picayune is the newspaper, big newspaper in New Orleans. And uh, what happened was lots of folks who were displaced lost collections of recipes and cookbooks and everything else that, they've, that they had um, collected over the years. And when their houses were washed away or flooded or whatever, they lost everything. And so what happened was after Katrina, lots of people who were displaced, they're living all over the country now without their cookbooks, without their collections of recipes, uh, started writing to the Times-Picayune saying, hey, you had published this recipe way back when. Can you send me another copy or can you, can you, can you publish it again? Can you, you know, do something? And so what happened was you had this whole network of people who developed 
around the whole concept of food and, and recipes and everything else in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. And eventually what happened is Marcel uh, Bienvenu and Judy Walker turned this into a cookbook, all these recipes, right, cooking up a storm. And one of the recipes that is included in this cookbook is a recipe for Drago's famous charbroiled oysters. And this is what, uh, it's on page 38. This is what the cookbook has to say about it, first of all. It says, since this recipe was published in the newspaper in January 1998, readers have asked for it many times. It is a signature dish of Drago's Seafood Restaurant in Metairie. As the butter drips onto the grill, the resulting flare-ups create the characteristic smoky taste of the dish. If you wish to serve the oysters on oyster plates, simply place them on the plates when they come off the grill. Here's the recipe. Here's the, the, the ingredients. And this makes four to six appetizers or two entree servings. You need uh, one pound, that's four sticks of butter or margarine. Uh, wait a second, back up. Did I just say that word? Oh my goodness, margarine. Scratch that. Uh, it's written here, but please don't ever, ever, ever use margarine. That stuff is uh, basically plastic, not even the bugs eat it, okay? Don't do that. Um, sorry, I'm going to re refrain. Got to repeat that. Okay, one pound, which is like four sticks of butter, real butter. Thank you. Okay, gosh, I'm glad I got that right that time. Uh, half a teaspoon of black pepper, two tablespoons of chopped garlic, 24 raw, large raw oysters on the half shell, a quarter cup grated Parmesan cheese and a quarter cup grated Romano cheese, and then a quarter cup of chopped fresh parsley. So this is what you do. You combine the butter with the pepper and the garlic in a small saucepan. You heat the butter until it's melted. Then you prepare a hot fire in a charcoal grill or preheat a gas grill Put the oysters on the grill and spoon the butter mixture over the oysters. Then sprinkle a pinch of each cheese and a pinch of parsley onto each oyster. Broil until the oysters puff up about three to five minutes and then serve it once. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And, uh, you know, we have our own variation of this recipe, char-grilled or grilled oysters. And I'm going to tell you about that recipe in just a moment. I need two salmon, three salad composite, and a free filet. Fire in two others, seared salmon. Free filet, working. I need plates. Well, you know, we, uh, that Drago's is, is like. It's it, right? It's everything. <laughs> they, they've, they have perfected it. They're using uh, professional-grade uh, grills right there in the restaurant, of course, and uh, everything is just it's, it's, it's perfect, you know? But I can't really um, necessarily replicate that at home. You know, I have to admit, my grill right now, my, my current, my grill, my gas grill, it, it kind of went kaput, all right? It's, it's out of commission, um, and so when we did the oysters recently, we did them actually in the oven. And what we have learned is it works. It works. You can do that. Uh, now, you ne you're not necessarily going to have that flame char broiled kind of uh, flavor. Uh, the flavor is fantastic. It works really, really, really well. Um, so there is, a, there is a difference, but it works just as well in the oven as it does on the grill. And I'd like to share with you a couple of recipes here because we've got a couple of different recipes that we use for 
uh, char-grilled oysters. And I'm trying to pull it up right here. Where did it go? All right. And these oysters really do make a great appetizer. Uh, and if you don't have a grill, no worries. You know, you can do it in the oven, too. Now, in the past, we've done these uh, using oyster shells on the grill. I mean, ideally, I think, ideally, uh, you chuck the oysters right there and you use the shells and you could do it, you know, on the grill. That would be ideal. However, you can also get the oysters by the pint, by the gallon, half gallon, whatever, already shucked, and you can still do this recipe. It still works, okay? Uh, even if it's not ideal, it still works. So we've done this in the past. We've done it in the shells, on the grill, just like they do at Drago's. Um, uh, we've done it in a metal muffin pan on the grill. So we either shuck them or we use them from a, that are already shucked, and we just put them into the little muffin tins and, and, uh, and, and do them on the grill. We've done that too. And, and I've also used, as most recently, used a stoneware, stoneware muffin pan in the oven. But no matter how you do them, I'm telling you, these oysters are always, always a hit. But I'm going to tell you right now the directions for preparing these in the, in the oven, okay? Because my, my grill's out of the commission, okay? My, <laughs> poor grill. Anyway, um, what you do is you, in a small saucepan, you melt a stick of butter at low heat um, or more. Add a generous amount of uh, fresh chopped garlic, Louisiana hot sauce, fresh lemon juice, green onions. And, and Char had noticed this. Char made the comment that the green onions act as flavor catchers, she calls it. Uh, it's an intensely poignant sauce, and uh, the green onions really kind of catch and hold that flavor. And what you do is you bring it up to a simmer. And uh, add a splash or two of whatever good beer you may have open. We were using uh, Abita Giacomo, I believe. I uh, love that IPA. Good stuff, Abita beer. And uh, the beer, of course, beer is like the drink of choice, right, when you're eating oysters. So anyway, uh, what a fantastic sauce. It really is great. It's that The butter makes it. It's just it's the garlic. Oh, it's just good stuff. And uh, you can always, of course, any recipe I give you, adjust it to your liking. Just remember that this one, because of that Louisiana hot sauce, this one should really have a zing to it, okay? Louisiana hot sauce is, is uh, a bit spicier than crystal hot sauce, but it still has that good kind of vinegar kick to it that, that really adds a tang. I like, it. I like that a lot. Um, I would definitely turn it down if I was using Tabasco because that's a lot hotter, uh, but, but the, the Louisiana hot sauce is perfect for this particular, um, this particular sauce. So what you do is you you add the sauce to the bottom of the tin compartments, right? The muffin tins, that's what we use, that stone stoneware uh, muffin tin. You could use metal, whatever. Uh, add a little bit of the sauce to the bottom of that and then put an oyster in each compartment. Now, Char, put the, she put the brakes on me. You know, she does that a lot because I'm always like going, oh, let's put more in there. Let's do more, 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 more oysters in there. And I'd put a handful in each one if I want, you know, and just, just coat them with sauce. But she says, no, 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 no. You line the bottom with the sauce. You're going to put one oyster per compartment because that way it soaks up. All, there's no competition. It soaks up all the sauce. You don't have to cook them as long either. It's like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. So you add an oyster to each compartment. You want to make sure that you have enough sauce in each compartment that the oyster is like in there, okay, in there real good. Then you want to top it with grated hard cheese like Romano or Parmesan. In the past, we've been known to do both. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and then, you know, you want to put a little chopped parsley there on top, too, at least for looks, if for nothing else. 
And you want to cook that in the oven at, at, at 450 until the cheese is bubbly. Again, it's going to be probably three to five minutes. Uh, then you dive in as soon as the oysters come out of the oven. You know, we, we like to use those uh, long wooden bamboo skewers, you know. We just attack those oysters and, and then eat them up. Um, one thing that would be really good if you're going to do this is have multiple muffin pans so that as you pull one out, you can throw one in. And that way, you got a continuous uh, uh, assembly line thing going on here as you, um, you know, eat those oysters up. If you're only going to use, what is it, 12, 12 muffins to a pan, right? So if you're only going to do uh, one oyster per container, then you need to keep replenishing that. And uh, having two pans would be, or three pans would be great, depending on how many people you have at your house. So uh, <laughs> that is the most recent recipe that we have used for grilled oysters. You know, if you go to catholicfoodie.com, you're going to find um, at least two recipes for grilled oysters on the website. One is called grilled oysters. The other one is called char-grilled oysters. That's on the uh, grill outside, the one that doesn't work in my house right now. And you're also going to find another recipe for uh, grilled. Let me see what that one was called again. Oysters Lafitte. Ooh-wee, you talk about good. And again, that, that's another, another kind of a baked dish. Uh, it's just really, really good. We don't have time to go into it today because I'm running out of time, but Oysters Lafitte, char grilled oysters. Uh, let's see, we, we have um, the, the, the grilled oysters on catholicfoodie.com, and we also have, and I don't have time to get into it right now, but I, I will tell you, it's one of the most recent posts I have over at catholicfoodie.com, and it's a what I call a Bayou Mary oyster shooter. This is a cocktail, okay? And it's, uh, the Bayou Mary is kind of like my version of a, of a Bloody Mary. It's kind of kicked up a notch or two. And uh, the Bayou Mary oyster shooters, it's like a little cocktail, a little shot almost, with an oyster in there. Like this, That's right, real oyster in there, raw oyster, with a little vodka and, and then my, my Bayou Mary mix. So uh, go check that out over at CatholicFoodie.com and let me know what you think about it too because, uh, boy, those are wicked. Hmm, Wow. <laughs> Good, good stuff. But it is time right now for us to welcome Sarah Reinhardt back on the show uh, with her Mary in the Kitchen segment. Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ree. And, and this is, is Mary in the, the kitchen, kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> I'm a big fan of resolutions. I don't restrict myself to making them just at the new year though I usually acknowledge this opportunity with some sort of resolving, goal-setting, and general hurrah. Though the year has barely begun, I am already wavering. For one thing, I didn't set any resolutions. I don't even have any ideas about them. It doesn't help that I'm overdue for confession. It doesn't help that I haven't been able to keep my weekly adoration appointment since the baby was born over a year ago. It doesn't help that I've been battling black clouds and feeling like I'm searching for something. It's appropriate, then, to remember how we ring in our New Year's, thanks to the wisdom of the liturgical year. It's with the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. It's also my oldest child's birthday. And it's the World Day of Peace. 
When my first baby was born on January 1st, the wonderful feast of Mama Mary, I couldn't help but feel a bit of awe in all of it, above and beyond the normal miracle of birth. Not only do I ring in the year with Mary, with the rest of the church, but I ring it in with a birthday and my own initiation into the vocation that has shaped me, changed me, and led me closer to God more than anything else in my life. Maybe, like me, you're struggling this January, and you find yourself facing epiphany, feeling less than starry-eyed. Maybe you're looking around you and wondering what the point of resolutions is. Maybe you're just longing for peace. Turn to Mary, my friend. Lean back into her arms and forget the hurt you hold. Close your eyes and let her lead you to the peace that won't let you down. The child who still awaits us in the manger. Thank you so very much, Sarah. That was Sarah Reinhardt, folks. And you can find more of Sarah over at snoringscholar.com. And, uh, you know, we are now officially in the Mardi Gras season. Epiphany was this past weekend, King's Day. So we are now officially in the Mardi Gras season, and we're getting very excited about that. Lent is not too far away this year. And Sarah has a Lent book and an Easter book, too, to excellent resources for Catholic families. You'll find links to those books in the show notes for this episode over at catholicfoodie.com. So thank you very much, Sarah, for producing Mary in the Kitchen. And uh, it's always an inspiration to me. Thank you very much for that. And, uh, you know, you can find more of Sarah Reinhardt and the work that she does over at snoringscholar.com. I also want to thank L'Angelus for providing or for allowing us to use their Ave Maria in the show. You can find them over at CajunRecords.com. And this brings us to the end of the show, folks. Are you hungry yet? (laughs) If not, go check out all the past episodes of The Catholic Foodie over at CatholicFoodie.com. Lots of blog posts, recipes, and more over there too, CatholicFoodie.com. You know, I'm looking for voice feedback. I want to hear from you. How does food meet faith in your life? You can call your voice feedback in by dialing 985-635-4974. That's 985-635-4974. You can call that number day or night. Just leave a message, and I'll be able to play that on the show. And by doing so, your name goes into the hat to win either the Divine Office app or the Catholicpedia app. Call your feedback in today, 985-635-4974. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, you may want to check out The Catholic Foodie on Facebook at facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash catholicfoodie. And don't forget to check out The Catholic Foodie website at catholicfoodie.com or even go over to Google+. If you're on Google+, just search for Catholic Foodie and I'm sure that my ugly mug will show up. So, <laughs> anyway, until next time, bon appétit.
SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.